0: From Hollywood at the Improv, it's the Nighttime Show! I'm Mike Black, the voice of the Nighttime Show, with us as always, our head writer Matt Walker. Today we have cinematic royalty on the show, the executive producer of Netflix, The Other Side of the Wind, Grammy winner, and Oscar-nominated screenwriter and director for The Last Picture Show, filmmaking legend Peter Bogdanovich! And now, a man who's been to Paris, Texas for the French fries. Put your hands together at home for Stephen Kramer Goldman.
1: <laughs> oh, my
2: God. Mike Black, our wonderful announcer. Well done, sir. Well done. Yes. Applause, applause. <laughs> really, very, very impressive. Um, Peter Bogdanovich, this is a, uh, a, a pretty big deal. It's a big deal that we have you on the show.
3: Oh well, it's nice to be on the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I, uh, I I saw uh, the film "The Other Side of the Wind," and it is it is extraordinary and fascinating. Uh, it's currently on Netflix. Uh, Forty years it took to to make this film. I would love to to just uh, hear from you a little bit about what uh, how how this came to be and and how you ended up. Uh, getting uh positioned to have to have to take care of this film and and bring it to light because i know that it it got stuck it got stuck for a while there
3: yeah it did for about 20 years or something uh what happened was um oh christ i, I don't remember exactly how it started but orson said to me at one point uh I, all i know is I'm sorry, i interviewed a lot of the older directors like that he liked like howard Hawks mm-hmm. and the king of and and so on. All the kind of legendary directors were still around. A lot of them were still around in the uh, this is in the 60s. And um, I, I had a long talk with Orson about John Ford being out, about all these older directors being considered over the hill, too old. And Orson got very upset about that. And he said, I guess I should make that movie I've been wanting to make for years, he said, about an older director. And he said, it's only in old age that the great genius has come out. And he says, don't send send them away. It was very emotional. Anyway, so from then on, he started talking about this script that he was working on. And it was called uh, a lot of things. But I think the final decision was The Other Side of the Wind. And um, I don't know how I got the part. But I think he just asked me if I would play a part in it. And I said, sure. And that was quite an experience. Oh, I bet. My God. Yeah. And we shot a lot of it. We shot in a place called... um, like what is it? It was in it was in Arizona, uh, carefree, That's it. carefree Arizona, which is <laughs> not, not as far from the truth as we were. We were not, <laughs> we were not carefree. We are anything but carefree. Anyway, so I, I went there and shot for I, as an actor. I worked with Orson for about a couple of weeks, and that was it. And then then he picked up some stuff in in at his home at his house in in Los Angeles, the house he rented for a while, and. Um, it went on for a long time, and the shooting didn't take that long. But after, afterward, there were some problems with money, and one guy ran off with a couple hundred thousand dollars. And it just was tough for Orson. And um, he really couldn't have ever, ever finished cutting it uh, really, finally finished through the final cut because money people and money stolen and just a lot of crap. And uh, he had a hard time, Orson did. And um, yeah. so at some point, he, said, he says to me, he turns to me, I think we were having something to eat. He just turned to me out of the blue and said, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to promise me you'll finish the picture. I said, oh, oh I nothing, nothing's going to happen to you. why do you say that? He said, I know. I think it's going to happen. But if it does, I want you to promise me you'll finish the picture. You're the only person I can trust. Wow. Said, well, Jesus, I'll, of course I will, but nothing's going to happen to <laughs> All right, but now we can change the subject.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, <wow>. my God. <laughs>
3: Oh, my God. So, when he died, I, you know, I did everything I could to finish. It took me, I don't know how many years it was, since he, he died in uh, 60, well, No, he died in 85, yeah. and um, yeah. Since then, I since eighty five until about a year and a half ago. But how do you Planet.
2: how how do you even approach? I mean, once there's money, uh, you know, to be able to to finish it. Once you have the, you know, the, there's there's budget and things to get it done. This is a movie that most of the film was was shot in when uh, seventy nineteen between nineteen seventy 1970 and nineteen seventy six. How do you yeah, exactly. how do you finish making a film in, in present day with with
3: footage from that
2: time? Well,
3: we had all the footage. He'd shot everything. I, I, we didn't shoot anything. Uh, but Frank Marshall, who had worked on on the picture when, when when Orson was directing, has a company called Kennedy Marshall, and he's quite a heavyweight in the movie business now. He started as my assistant. He started as my assistant when oh he was 18. 18. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> Holy crap, so I called incredible. Frank, and Frank, and, uh, and I got Frank onto the Orson picture, so I said, yeah, Orson needs help. So we went, so <laughs> Frank worked on the picture for shooting for a while. And mm-hmm. So I called him, I said, let's finish this picture for Orson. He said, great. So we worked on it, and we, we arranged it, and somehow we got somebody to pay for it. I can't remember exactly who. <laughs> <laughs> I think Netflix. Netflix came into it at some point. It's all a blur. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, Thank so you, whoever paid nice. for it. <laughs> 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 yeah, if I, I'd be listening. listening. <laughs> so it was, um, it took us a while, by the year or so, to finish it. I don't know. Wow. And um, that's it.
4: And um, were there, like, rights issues that you had to deal with, or by that point, were it? Pretty much everybody was like, "Hey, we're never going to do anything with it." It's it wasn't that hard to get a hold of the rights to do it.
3: If there were problems, but Frank Frank Marshall took care of most of that. Okay, that's that's amazing. Um, he didn't he didn't involve me in it really. He just had to get the rights, and there were some people I, I did speak with, and so on. But it was it was all agreed that you know for us and sake we would all pitch in and and do the best we could, and that meant some people had rights had to be signed off and so on. I mean, it, then, it's, and,
2: it, it's an incredible thing to be able to bring something to light after, you know, it, it, it sitting for so long. I mean, for, for the world to get to see John Houston again on film, uh, you know, doing something uh, fresh and amazing. Like that's. John was it's, great.
3: He was very, he was really, he, he, he was great in the picture. I thought, and, uh, <laughs> uh, he was, that's actor. At one point, he, he, you know, he, he and Orson liked to pick on me. So, uh, <laughs> I was the youngest one in the room. So he said, this John says to me, one point, we're, waiting to, we're waiting to shoot something, and he says, how many pictures have you acted in, Peter? <laughs> and I said, uh, one. And he said, that's not very many. <laughs> <laughs> Which broke Orson up completely. Orson was laughing, he was behind the camera, he said, that's, not, that's not very many. <laughs>
0: Oh well. I heard I heard a story that would be a totally <laughs> different film. Just those two bullying you, yeah. For like, yeah. That's brilliant. It was uh, fun though. It I, sounds like it. Would, I had it would heard a story awesome.
2: about you on set with him, where where Orson um, didn't want to break for lunch. It was something about him. I've we've heard some stories over the years about about Orson Wells
3: and lunch and food. Uh, and <laughs> that was a funny story. What happened was. Um, <laughs> we were shooting, I think, at Carefree or somewhere. yeah. And uh, Frank, and I was sitting with Orson, and Frank comes over and says to Orson, rather under his breath, he says, You know, Orson, the crew has been here since uh, 7.30, and it's, uh, it's uh, been uh, 12 or eleven one o'clock. He said, They're kind of hungry. Uh, they'd like to go to lunch. All right, I'm not hungry. If the crew <laughs> wants to go to eat lunch, let them go. <laughs> well I'm going to stay here. And I said I am not hungry. I'll stay with yours. Or fine. Or I and Peter and I will stay here while the crew goes to lunch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <What>? He <laughs> was so funny. Did you guys then, as, as oh. soon as they left <laughs> did you guys order lunch? <laughs> the minute
3: the minute they left Orson, about 5 minutes after the orson turns me says are you hungry? Because I'm absolutely (laughs) starving.
4: I said, I could eat.
3: (laughs) And somebody got us some sandwiches. (laughs) I thought it was funny. Uh, You know, the the funniest thing was, uh, (laughs) it wasn't funny at the time, but um, John Huston, you know, when when you forget a line, (laughs) actors, when actors forget a line, they, they, they say either, line please, or I'm I'm up. What's the line? Or they just say I don't know. What I'm what I'm supposed to say here. John never did that. He what he would do is he would say something. Yeah. It maybe had, had nothing to do with what the line was. It could have been, you know, nothing to do with the line. Just like something about. <laughs> and he would say the line, whatever it was, something that made no sense. And then he'd walk off camera, leaving me on camera, <laughs> saying what. <laughs> What was that? And Orson laughed. He thought it was very funny. <laughs> oh,
4: my God. No,
0: that's you, incredible. I like the move of leaving. Yeah, Like, <laughs> just walking off. I, I know I'm ruining things here, but I'm just going to escape <laughs> and leave the other actor to deal with it. Yeah. I,
2: I
3: that's had right. Heard, that's what he did. <laughs> yeah. I had heard that, hilarious. that uh, uh, uh,
2: uh, at some point Robert De Niro was doing a, a play – uh in the in like in the west end and the phone rang and he answered the phone and said uh um well uh i think i think it would answer the phone rang by accident and so he picked up the phone and he said uh oh uh uh they need me i must go goodbye and then walked off the stage and left the play right in the right in the middle Oh, Jesus. I love when people do things yeah. like that.
1: Now, y-
4: you were able to interview and work with a lot of the legendary directors in this business. What about Orson Welles made him different from some of the other? Like, what makes Orson Welles so different from, say, John Ford? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> other than the names. <laughs> you know, the Orson, Orson, Orson
3: was the youngest director I interviewed. Uh, all, the, all the rest of them were in their late 60s or 70s. A couple of them in their 80s, but uh, Orson was, you know, was young compared to them, and uh, and um, he was just, you know, he was very easy to talk with if he liked you, and um, you could go anywhere with him,
1: mm-hmm. and
3: um, yeah, he was, he was. I really enjoyed his friendship because it was great to talk to him about anything. and if you talk about anything.
2: What was uh, he like when you first when you first met him?
3: Well, I had written. A monograph for the Museum of Modern Art uh, when in, co- in, in, collabor- in connection with uh, uh, the first retrospective of Orson's work in the United States, which was in 1961, believe it or not, uh, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Oh, yeah. And I, I tried to reach him at that time, but he was in Europe shooting the trial, and I couldn't get to him, so I just I didn't speak to him. And I, when I finished the monograph, I sent it to him in uh, Europe, wherever he was sent a couple of copies, didn't hear anything for seven years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Seven years later, (laughs) I'm now in Los Angeles having done a a movie, my (laughs) first movie. And uh, I get a call out of the blue. It's Orson. Hello, Peter O'Donnell yes, speaking. Who's this? Although I kind of recognize what he's. It's Orson Welles. Wow. Hi, how are you? He says, I can't tell you how long I've wanted to meet you. I said, said, wait a minute, that's my line. (laughs) He laughed and said, I said, why did you want to meet me? Because you have written the truest words ever published about me. Pause, in English.
1: (laughs) And and we got along
3: very well. And um, I I brought him, uh, besides... uh, Coming I mean, to meet him, I brought a a copy of a book of mine that has just been published called John Ford, and I knew that that uh, Orson was a big fan of Ford's, and so I gave him this little paperback uh, book. And after about an hour or so, he was le- leasing through the book, kind of flipping through it as a paperback, and he said, um, "Isn't it too bad you're a big director now? You can't do a little book like this about me?"
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and I said, oh, "Orson, I- I'd love to do an interview book with you. Fine, let's do it." Wow. And that was that. was that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. And that went on for years. He wanted to do the book because he wanted to set the record straight. And we did a we did long, long 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 series of interviews.
1: It
2: Was that um, – which book was that? Was that This is Orson Welles? Or yes, that... yes,
3: yes. Oh, this is Orson Welles. wow. Wells.
2: Well, that's incredible. And, uh,
3: and the sad thing is that he wanted to set the record straight, and it didn't come out until, I don't know, several, several years after he died, right? seven years, I think. Uh, because of various reasons, um, but we did finally get it out, and uh, it's, it's all right.
2: I love it. It's all um, right, uh, that's yeah, that's that's fantastic. That is uh, that's really really incredible. And uh, he
3: saw my he saw my first picture. He ran it at Columbia in New York when he was there before he came out to to, to meet with me. And uh, he, he didn't say much about it, but he, he liked it. He said it was a all target. He said well, well done or something like that. Wow.
2: Did you do uh, do you feel like the the work that you did as a director that that uh, you learned a you know a lot about that like the cuz I know you did so many interviews with so many incredible directors with Alfred Hitchcock which I would love to hear about. <laughs> but um do you think that that helped out when you started directing and writing your Oh yeah, sure.
3: Yeah, it did. You know, I had directed in the theater. I'd done about four or five uh, I direct four or five shows in, in in the theater in New York and so on.
2: What uh, uh, what shows? Any, any can
3: you? Well, I mean, I did a summer theater. I, I went to it was it? Traverse City, Michigan. Oh
1: wow! <laughs> yeah, directed, really?
3: Yeah. I did a season of summer theater there. I mean, I was I think I was twenty or nineteen. I don't know what I mean, or sixty something, and um, it was it was what they don't do anymore. It Was called kind of Star Summer Stark because we did in a big tent in um, in Michigan, and every week a different sort of name would come. They weren't the top names, but they were pretty good names if, if you knew pictures. Mm-hmm. People like Lazu Pitts mm-hmm. and um, Sidney Blackmer and uh, Lillian Gish. Yeah. Oh, my God. And those kind of people. And uh, I, I was involved in that. I was a kid. I was just a kid. I was 18 or something. No, I was even younger and uh, I played a lead in the seventh week um I played senior hasso's son and it was a lot of fun and she told me I got more laughs than the guy who did it on broadway and uh <laughs> wow. that was nice it was that was that was the first thing i did uh, I was about i think I was sixteen or something and um so I did a season of that and then i did i did, I did four summers i did so summers summer theater all around the country and uh, then i when I was 20, actually, I uh, directed the first play off Broadway. I did a revival of Clifford Odette's play The Big night and it was well received and and uh, well received. And so by the time I directed my first film, I'd already worked on a bunch of films with not as a director but as an assistant, for example, to Roger Corman on a couple of pictures and then he had me direct the second unit actually. so oh yeah I wasn't was I'd worked like, with acting oh I studied I studied acting for four years with Stella Adler, you know in New York. Mm-hmm. When I was still in high school, I took the afternoons off from the, the uh, uh, sports events and, <laughs> and, uh, and went, worked with Stella Adler. What was Stella Adler? So in later. New York.
0: You were working with Stella Adler and Roger Corman at the same time.
3: <laughs> that's <laughs> No, no. Roger was later. Roger <laughs> oh, okay. was later.
0: I was yeah. like, that is amazing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: What, what can you tell us about Stella Adler? Because oh, know, she was great.
3: Oh, that's she amazing. was divine. God. she was a wonderful woman I, she I she, I got very close with her she I, I, she sort of became my second mother wow. in fact she she was around after my mother died she was very sweet to me and,
4: and I'll tell you what happened
3: uh, about directing uh, in the theater uh, I was studying with Stella for about four years and I think the first or second year uh, I was we had, we had having a cup of coffee with a b- bunch of actors four, five actors at a at a cafe at a you know um uh, cafe uh near the studio where she worked and for, I don't know why I said this but I looked at the five actors and I said why don't I direct you guys in a scene and they all said oh okay mm-hmm. uh, and um you know if you did a scene a scene in scene class it was either two got two people doing a you know a two two-hander or mm-hmm. it was a monologue yeah when mm-hmm. we went into the cl- we went in and five actors suddenly get up on the stage <laughs> and rearrange the furniture and so on and they did it. And Stella and when it was over, it was by the way it was a scene from The Big Knife, of Odette, it was one of the last scenes in the third act and it was five people, five actors, five characters so that was mm-hmm. And um, so when it was over, the, the class applauded and Stella stood up and said, "Brilliant darlings, but you've been directed, who directed you?" And and they all pointed I was standing in the way in the back of the studio. <laughs> back. And, and they said, Peter. And she turned to me and she said, Brilliant, darling. Bravo.
2: Oh, wow, my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's like being knighted.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like that, yeah. And then, and then I thought, well, geez, maybe I should direct this as a, as a, off-Broadway. And, and one of the actors, as luck would have it, one of the actors knew Clifford Odette and <laughs> gave me his address. And I wrote to him. I wrote him a two-page, single-space letter, uh, typed, and uh, sent it to him in uh, Los Angeles.
0: You know, Stephen and wrote. He wrote uh,
3: back. He wrote back about uh, just about a week later in pencil. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote on, on Fox stationery because he was making a picture of Fox. And he said, You have here, in my permission, the rights to, to, to make an off-Broadway production of The Big knife. Wow that was, the, that was the start Of my career As a director
0: That yeah. is fantastic um, Yeah we got one Here's one for you uh, Steve, Stephen wrote A director once Would you like To tell him How that went <laughs> Sure <laughs> um, uh, I
2: I went to The American Musical Dramatic Academy In, in New yeah. York City And studied uh, Stanislavski And uh, uh, Every You know as, as much as I could And um, When we were Finishing school I decided I wanted to put on A play uh, Off Broadway way, and the play I wanted to put on was uh, Suburbia by Eric Bogosian, and mm-hmm. so I uh, cast it with a bunch of friends and uh, other actors from the school, and I um, uh, you know reached out to to the, to the theater works or whoever owned the rights and they said um, we're sorry but uh, there has never been an off-broadway production of uh, suburbia it, it was on broadway they do it at colleges but we don't allow rights for for uh, off-broadway and i said can i write a letter to Eric Bogosian to explain why I should be the one to direct the first off Broadway production. And they said, Yeah, you know, give it a shot. Who cares? Whatever. And I wrote a letter. I, you know, uh, printed it out and we put it in an envelope and I sent it off to Eric Bogosian. And uh, I got a letter back from him saying, um, Yes. You can direct the first off Broadway production of the show. Uh, that if you're so passionate about it, you know, fine, we'll grant you the rights. And, and I what said, What did you do then, yes. Stephen? And I said, Thank you so much. Here's 57 notes I have on the script <laughs> <laughs> to change it, to update it to present day. Uh, because you said in your script that it's supposed to take place in present day, and I don't want to alter the script without you being comfortable with that. So I sent him back 57 <laughs> notes. <laughs> And he wrote back, "You ballsy motherfucker! <laughs> you can change these fifteen, and that was, and that was it. Yeah. And that, was that
4: was great." <laughs> and th- and that's why you do not have an Oscar nomination. I do not Stephen. have an Oscar nomination. Yes, that is his career very is on true. a very different path. Though. Yeah, well, I yeah. try. I try my best. Yes.
2: Hey, uh, c- a quick thing I want to talk about, uh, Mike Black. I-, I think this is uh, something that we we really should talk about, and yeah. uh, it's a um, a company yes. that was founded in 1983 in Tokyo, Japan. Of course, I'm talking about the Zoom Corporation. Sure. Zoom. <laughs> now, if if it wasn't for Zoom, and Matt knows this, we would not be able to do our show. Um, they make. The best audio equipment in the world, um, we, w- which one are we using right now? We,
4: we're recording onto a Zoom Live Track L8 right now, and when we go do our live events at conventions and stuff, we often use the Zoom H6, and they're both just fantastic pieces of equipment. You plug your microphones in, you plug your headphones in, and you're good to go.
2: Yeah, I mean, whether you're a classically trained pianist or a run-and-gun filmmaker or a podcaster like, uh, you know, like us. Um, yep. Yeah.
4: I do a ton
0: of podcasts, and I can tell by listening when they're using a Zoom and when they're not.
2: yeah, It's the uh, mark of excellence. It yeah. really is. Uh, go, check it, uh, go check out all their stuff over at zoom-na.com. That's zoom-na.com. Be professional, for God's sake. Zoom-na.com. All right. Okay, let's get back to the show.
0: Um, uh, Can we talk about your early, like, when you were
3: coming up? Oh,
2: I want to talk about Corman. we got to talk oh, about yeah, Roger yeah. Corman. Yeah, I yeah. mean, th- how, how did that happen?
3: Again, a coincidence. Uh, um, I was married at that point to Polly Platt, and I said, "And there was a movie that I, uh, a director I kind of liked, a French director named Jacques Demy, mm-hmm. and he had a new film that just opened called I can't remember which picture it was, now, uh, something." And um, I said, "Let's go see that." We went to see it, we went. It wasn't a screening; it was a you know a, a, a performance in a the in theater where, where, where it was playing. And we went uh, and sat the, uh, down, and behind us as it turned out, was somebody who knew me and whom I knew. And he was with somebody that knew somebody that was with me, besides Polly. And the other person that was there was Roger Corman, and they introduced me to him. Wow. And I said, hi, Roger, and so on. And he says to me, I read your stuff in Esquire. Would you ever think about writing a movie? I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. Love to. And that's how I got that job.
2: Wow. Didn't he kind of... Kind of before he let you direct your own thing, he kind of made you finish a few of
3: his films. Was no, what that... happened was he, he, I, I was his assistant on the Wild Angels, which he did with, with Peter Fonda and um, Nancy Sinatra and Bruce Dern. And um, what a cast! He, he, I was on the picture through the whole shoot, his Roger's whole shoot. And the, the the bikers didn't like him because he never said thank you and he never said please. And I, I think that was it. And they didn't like him. It's so weird I that they disliked dead.
0: him for courtesy issues. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's it. Isn't that funny? So I was I was next to him. stand I was standing next to him a lot of the time because I'd be leaning over and whispering in his ear. Try this. Uh, he asked me to give him notes and so on. He, he, the first thing he asked me to do was re- 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 rewrite the script. He said, "Listen, I've got a, a, a ten pages of notes here, for the, from the writer, and he wouldn't. Let, I couldn't get past the third one, uh, the third note. I, I need you to do a rewrite." I said, "All right." I can give you three hundred dollars and I, and no credit <laughs> all right, okay sure <laughs> I did a rewrite there's practically the whole script really <laughs> and um and then he would say to me um look, read this uh, this sequence we're going to shoot uh, tomorrow and uh, design it for me would you uh, give me some shots? So I just a shot, so I did that, and he did all the shots and, except a couple, and I'd say, why don't you do that and, anyway, so we we were quite close, and at one point he says to me. Uh, they were doing a scene with fighting between the townies and the and the what, bikers, and and we didn't have enough people for the townies. So Orson, I mean, so Roger turns to me and says, "Go ahead, run in there, be a be a townie." <laughs> so I run in there and, they, and the, the, the the bikers are. Beating up the townies, and they, because I was Roger's assistant, they, they, they particularly disliked me. They, <laughs> oh, started, no. they particularly started beating me up. <laughs> I said, "Fuck <laughs> this!" and I just fell down to the ground. <laughs> and, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he gave me a couple of sequences, a couple of scenes, he gave me actually quite a few shots to, to, and, and a couple of sequences to direct after he rapped because he did not want to go over the schedule, his schedule. Uh-huh. He was very, yeah. he's a stickler for that. So I took over and I directed. It wasn't second unit because I directed Peter and Nancy in a couple of scenes, and I directed Bruce Dern in a big sequence. Wow. He used all that, and the picture was his, his most successful picture, Rogers. And so he comes to me after the picture came out, and was a big success. He said, listen, uh, Boris Karloff owes me two days' work. <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, I'd like you to shoot 20 minutes with Karloff. You can shoot twenty minutes in two days. I've shot whole pictures in two days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course. And, yeah. and, and they so were. I'd awesome. like you to get
3: some other actors together and shoot about another twenty minutes with with, with a, per a few days with, a, with a, some other actors. And then I want you to take uh, the, the picture I did with with uh, Karloff called The Terror. It's not <laughs> a good, not a great picture. But I'd like you to take forty minutes of stuff from The Terror. <laughs> Now you've got 40 minutes of new stuff between Karloff and the actor. And, and then I'll have a new 80-minute 80 Karloff 80 minute picture. Wait, are you interested? I said, oh, sure. Well, uh, oh so that was the beginning of Targets. Uh-huh. Wow. Oh, my God. And I was shaving one morning. And I was thinking, what the fuck did I do with this? Goddamn. <laughs> Two Days with Karloff and The Terror, which we ran. is one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> it's just not... Roger, Roger only directed bits of it. It was directed by everybody else. Coppola directed some of it. Mm-hmm. Jack Hill, Hill. About 10 directors worked on it. It looked at it, looked it. It was just shit. And to get 20 minutes of Karloff footage out of there was really a challenge. Because oh, yeah. it was so bad. Yeah. So and it, we didn't know what to do with Karloff. We didn't know what to. He, he was, obviously, all his life he played heavies. We couldn't have him play a hero. So we didn't know what to do. And then one one morning I was kind of frustrated. I was shaving. I remember, and I said to my. I thought to myself, I know. And I maybe I said it to said to some poly, I can't remember now. I said I thought, uh, I know what we will begin the picture in a projection room. The lights will come up, and Roger Corman will be sitting there next to Boris Karloff, and Boris will turn to him and say. Roger, that is by far the worst film ever made.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: and then I thought, I thought, wait a minute, that's not a bad idea actually. Maybe we should. What if? What if I said, well, wow, I've some. Carla is an actor. What if he's an actor who wants to quit acting because nobody gives a shit about Victorian heavies anymore? And I thought, geez, that's the whole picture. There it is. <laughs> and wow. uh, I told Polly, and so we. Uh, that was it. We. Made him a movie star who does horror movies and <laughs> wow. wants to quit because horror movies aren't, the Victorian horror movies don't work anymore. And then, so we, he said, we should do something modern horror. And we cross cut that because my editor at Esquire, Harold Hayes, had said to me, oh, I don't know, a few months before, um, why don't you do a movie about that guy, Charles Whitman, I think his name was, who <laughs> shot all those people in, in uh, Texas? Texas, where it was, Arizona. Yep remember the incident and i said yeah. i don't want to do that and then when we had karloff and we had this idea about him being an actor who's quitting, so i thought well then we could cross cut with the modern horror which is this kid who shoots his parents and his wife and goes on his killing spree like for no reason just starts killing people mm-hmm. and i thought that that's a good that's modern horror so that was the that's how the thing fell, fell into place. Oh,
2: wow now, Polly Platt uh, was uh, she was a, a, a film producer as well as an art director. I think the first female art director to ever be uh, in the in Union, the yeah. Art Directors Guild. um yeah. you guys were together for a very, very long time. What was what, what was it like having somebody you know as as your partner that's that knows what you are going through? You know, when you are working on all of these things.
3: Well. Um um she had never done sets she'd done some costume she would designed some costumes for a few plays she didn't hadn't done that much of that but no no set design and when we did a we did we worked together for the first time in an off-Broadway play that i directed uh, a revival of once in a lifetime by Kaufman and Hart and uh i said do the sets too Polly. and she was scared she didn't want to do the sets. and so she didn't do the sets and she just did the costumes and then when we did when we were Started to make target. I said, "You're going to do this costume and the set. We're going to give you production designer." Credit. And so she did it, and we worked on it, of course, together. And it, it turned out very well. We, she did a good job, and then we did. We hired her. We, we gave her the same job on the last picture show. And um, but that's where I, I fell in love with Sybil Shepherd, and she fell in love with me, and that was the end of the marriage. I'm afraid. Right. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I got her... I. I Wanted to help her. So, I loved her still, and uh, so I asked her if she would be the production designer on the next picture I did, which was What's Up Doc, and uh, which just came out of the blue that one. And uh, she said yes, she would do it, as long as Sybil didn't come on the set. Wow. She wasn't. She wasn't, she wasn't in the picture, so yeah. it, was, it wasn't fair wasn't request.
2: Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, do and, you do you remember meeting Sybil Shepherd? Oh, sure. I mean, of course. I'm Not some terrible, <laughs> stupid question. I'm I like, wish you could see the look looks? that I just gave yeah. Steve. He just <laughs> shot he me the look. What the fuck is the matter with you? <laughs> what was, how did you guys first meet?
3: Well, um, I was in a supermarket uh, buying some toothpicks uh, because I was trying to stop smoking. And so I chewed toothpicks for a while. Anyway, and next <laughs> Wait, to the you chewed to the,
0: toothpaste for a while. Toothpicks, you know, I, toothpicks. Toothpicks. Oh, okay. Sorry. That so was,
3: I was standing at the at the I was at the checkout counter at Ralph's or something, and um, there was you know how they have magazines that they want you to buy that are right there at the sure. checkout. Yeah. And there, there was a it was an issue a copy of a, a magazine called Glamour, which was sitting there a bunch of them, and um, the cover was this blonde girl who was wearing a, a shirt that had little I love you's all over. I love you, I love you. Uh, and, but the look on her face belied the sentiment on the on the shirt. I don't know that she loved me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> she looked dangerous mm-hmm. which inter- and beautiful, which wow. interested me. So I said, let's meet this guy. I did it almost a Hollywood moment. I tore the cover off and <laughs> said to my assistant, find this girl. <laughs>
1: ah, nice.
3: <laughs> nice. So it turned out she was a top model. She had won the model of the year contest a couple of years before. That doesn't exist anymore, but she won it. And, um, <laughs> sure. And, um, she'd never done a movie. She turned down a, a couple of movies that were fairly prominent. One of them was, I can't remember which which one it was, but, um, there was one that was, I can't think of what it was. Anyway. And, um, she liked the script and, um, she said, they, I said, I'd like to meet her. So, so I, was, I was in L.A., but I, she was in New York. But I, I flew to New York to do some other work on the, on, for the picture, and I said, I'll, I'll see some actors now while I'm here. So they arranged for a meeting, and she came up to the Essex House with her manager, uh, her, or her agent, I don't know who it was, but a woman. And um, I thought, Jesus' she's tall. She's very tall, and she was wearing blue jeans and a jean jacket. And uh, I had, had just had breakfast, and the breakfast tray was sitting on a coffee table in front of the couch, and I was sitting on the couch. And summer for some reason, she came over and sat on the floor in front of the uh, coffee table and, and in front of me. And then she, there was a, you know how the room service sends up a little vase sometimes with a, with a single flower in the, for breakfast, and there was a rose there in a the little uh, small ro- rose,
1: mm-hmm.
3: one rose in a small vase, and while she was talking to me, she started flipping her finger, flipping the rose with her finger like back and forth. And I thought that's how that's how she would deal with men. Head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that gesture, that
3: gesture, got her the part.
2: Wow!
1: Mm. Oh my god!
3: And I was so, I felt those stupid. Thing that that twice she shook it's a bark I like the way she flipped the rose and. Uh, then I remembered that George Cukor, a very good director, had said to me that the reason he cast Katherine Hepburn in her first movie, Bill of Divorcement, was because he liked the way she put down a cup of tea on the floor. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yes. She did it. it was, uh, she did it with her whole body. And I thought, that girl. And, she, <laughs> and she got the part. Well, we
2: just... In, uh, we we just spoke with Zach Galligan, who was the star of Gremlins, and uh, he said that, that he asked Spielberg why he cast him in Gremlins, and he said the reason was is because at the end of his audition, he put his head on Phoebe Cates' shoulder and and sighed, uh, and, sighed and that was enough for Spielberg to feel like he was in love with this girl, and that was enough for him to cast him, and that was – that was it's it. funny,
3: isn't it? Little things like that make a difference. Yeah, yeah it does. well, it it also Kids shows like when... a
0: yeah. lot of insight on your part because Civil Shepherd. I was a big fan of moonlighting. I don't mm-hmm. know about you know. Yeah, that is yeah, she, totally encapsulates her persona. You know.
3: Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah.
0: The foresight that you had is pretty amazing on
3: that. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Well, it was, great. it was. It was. It was before two moment. Yeah. Ruined my life, but uh, <laughs> no. I'm not kidding. I've fucked up the marriage.
0: That's the I have heard far worse excuses for a marriage ending than civil yes. shepherd.
3: Yes. that's, that's a, yeah. a pretty
0: good one to have under your belt.
3: Nice. Yeah, we were there. For ten, we we were together for ten years. Yeah. Wow,
2: um, you know, I I know that y- you know. You, I, I want to get to talking about the the you know other some of these other directors that you're you're part of this the the new Hollywood of of directors, which includes you know Scorsese and Spielberg and Coppola. D- did you spend time ever like interviewing any of them, or or spend time like were you interested in talking with them?
3: Not even remotely.
2: Not even kind of?
3: No. Wow. I never interviewed, I never interviewed any of those guys. Wow, really? I, I, didn't think, I didn't think they could teach me anything.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I believe that. I mean, your time that you spent with uh, Hitchcock seems like that. Oh, he was great. Oh, my God. He was
3: great. He, he was one of the best interviews because he actually liked to talk about how he did it and what he, how he did the shot or why he did the shot. Whereas other directors like Hawks, Didn't want to talk about. Ford. Ford was the worst. Ford would not not didn't want to talk about anything. (laughs) Really? Yeah, he was funny. Ford. He was really funny. Very very perverse. Hawks told me the story about. You know, Hawks made Red River and uh, with John Wayne, and uh, a a a lot of people who thought a lot of people thought that Ford had directed it because John Wayne and the Western. You know, Mm -hmm. and and, and Ford made a bunch of them with, 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 with with Wayne. And um, so Howard t- tells me, he says, people would, come, people would come up to Jack and they'd say, we liked Red River. And he'd say, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> he just took the credit. Yeah. Just like, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, that amused Howard.
2: <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Uh,
3: Howard Hawks was the coolest guy I ever met. He was so cool. He was, almost, he was pretty much the coolest guy I ever met until I met Tom Petty, who's maybe. A, <laughs> a fraction cooler
4: yeah now you directed a documentary about tom petty is that right
3: yeah i did yeah
4: and uh how did that come together because that's one of your more recent things you've done because was only about 10 years ago
3: yeah about yeah but it was about 10 years ago I guess mm-hmm. now maybe a little less um well <laughs> that was weird um a friend of mine george Berkulius, who's a producer record producer and uh, a good friend became a good friend of mine and uh He calls me up one day and he says, Would you like to do, how would you like to do a documentary about Tom Petty? I said, Why? He said, (laughs) Well, he said, uh, I was talking to Tom. Tom Tom and the Heartbreakers, his his band, have Mm -hmm. been together for uh, um, 10 10 years, I guess it was. No, no one was more than that. It was about 20 years, 30 years. It was a long long time. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And he he wants to do a 30 year uh, anniversary documentary. And I said to him, and George is now talking, he says, I said to Tom, how about Bogdanovich? Because he knew me uh, and we were friendly. And and Tom, way, he said, can we get him? And then George called me and said, well, can we get you? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. I'd have to meet him and, and, and see how, how I think after I meet him. He said, okay, yeah. we'll, we'll arrange it. I hung up the phone. I turned to um, whoever I was with. <laughs> I guess it was Louise. Yeah, it was Louise. And she says, I said, who's Tom Petty? <laughs> and she said, I said, what is he? Is he a, 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 I said, well, is he a singer? Uh-huh. She said, he's one of the prim, premier rock stars in the country. Why?
1: Yeah.
3: I said, because I, they, I told her. And She said, oh, do it, do it, do it, do it. So I did it. I met with Tom for about three hours and a half uh, at a restaurant. I liked him enormously.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, I asked him a lot of questions, and I thought this is the way to do the documentary, just ask him a lot of questions. He'll answer them, and then we'll show the. Anyway, mm-hmm. so when the picture, when the documentary was five hours long,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I said to Tom, it's getting a little longer, and he said to me, it's getting a little longer, do you think, Pete? I said, well, yeah, it is. So we cut it and cut it and cut it, and I insisted that we use, that we not just play excerpts from all the songs. Yep. but to actually play a whole song straight through. Not all the songs, mm-hmm. but some of them at least straight through because you know, it, it, it shouldn't all be excerpts. Yeah, And that's one of the things that the that uh, musicians who like the film, uh, that's one of the things they commented on, that you played the whole song. Anyway, it was finished at three and a half hours. <laughs> and it, I thought it played, you know, it just played. So I said to Tom, I said, you know, if, if it plays, it doesn't matter how long it is. And if it doesn't play, it also... It doesn't matter how long it still yeah. won't
1: work. Yeah.
3: So, so we 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 we, we, we fin- finished it at three and a half hours or something, like that, and we won the Oscar, the Grammy for best long form video. Yeah. <laughs> long form video. <laughs> yeah.
1: Long form.
3: <laughs> Emphasis on long. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, anyway, I loved I love Tom. I came he came to be my one of my best friends, and so tragically he died so young. It's just terrible. Yeah.
2: Hey, uh, real quick before we continue the show, um, I want to talk about a third-generation family-run business that I am very proud to be working with. Uh, Sennheiser is the number one, number (laughs) top-tier microphone uh, company in the Mm -hmm. world. And we are so lucky that we are now recording our show using Sennheiser microphones and their headphones. Mm -hmm. It's awesome.
4: We're we're talking into Sennheiser MD42 microphones and using Sennheiser HD25 headphones, and these sound amazing.
2: I mean, listen to Mike Black's voice.
0: Listen to the rich and sumptuous soundscape that comes out of my voice every time I speak into a Sennheiser.
2: Absolutely. Go check out uh, their microphones and their sound equipment over at Sennheiser.com. All right, let's get back to the show.
4: Now, it seems like starting in about the 1990s, you really got into doing stuff in front of the camera more than you had earlier in your career, um, especially with things that you wound up being in, like The Sopranos later on is a big part of that show and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, how have you enjoyed acting versus being behind the camera?
3: I loved acting. I always loved acting, and I wish I'd done more of it, frankly. I turned I had to turn some things down that I wish I'd done, but at the time, I couldn't do it, whatever like, it was. Like what? Uh... Um, Sydney, 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 uh, Sydney Pollack asked me to play the director in Tootsie. Oh wow! <laughs> and I would have been yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember who did it now. Good actor. uh yeah. Comedy actor. And um, I turned down um, a part in um, a few a few pictures. Of, for, the one the one about uh, Tootsie was because it was shortly after Dorothy been killed, and I. Oh yeah, had been murdered, and I just mm-hmm. I just couldn't face it. Mm-hmm. Acting, and I wish I'd done it, but I didn't.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's understandable. Yeah,
3: of course. My favorite thing was doing the Sopranos. That was really fun, and that it was odd how that happened. That's thanks to Orson again, because um, I got a call out of the blue from David Chase, and he said, uh, he said we're doing a special show of the Sopranos. No, no, sorry, that was when he was sorry. That was when he was um, show running. Northern exposure. Uh-huh. And he said, we're doing a special show. Um, unusual episode, uh, to, to kind of celebrating Orson Wells. I said, well, how do you do that? He said, well, he explained how he did it in the, in the, in the plot. And I said, he said, I said, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want do? Well, we'd like you to, since you you knew him so well and you're a friend of his, we'd like you to sort of come up to Seattle, which is where they shot and, and, and do some scenes about Orson. Uh, and, and I said, okay, sure, I'll do it. And, um, so I went up to Seattle and they shot it for a couple of days, two, three days. And um, after the first day, of, after he saw the dailies of the first day, he says to me, have you ever acted before? I said, yeah, I started." told him I started as an actor. I said, why? Because you have a lot of presence. You ought to act more. I said, oh, thank you. Seven years later, <laughs> oh God. he calls me and he says, we're doing uh, a show called The Sopranos. Yeah, I heard about it. I didn't see it, but mm-hmm. so I heard about it. He said, and we have a therapist played by Lorraine Bracco, who interviews this mafia guy, um, Tony Soprano. And she has such a tough time with him that she she needs a therapist. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we'd we'd like you to play it. I said, oh, sure, I'll do that. Uh, We'd come down to the office and meet the writers. And and that's what I did. I did 15 episodes. Yeah. (laughs) It was fun. I love that part. Yeah, Yeah, it's a terrific part.
4: fantastic. The show's great. And and you directed an episode, didn't you?
3: Yeah, I did. I did direct an episode.
4: Yeah, -hmm. Um, one of the yeah, I did. I did directed one. Now, now, when you're directing an episode of a show like that, that has like a look and a feel to the way it goes, versus doing a film where you're sort of more in control of how that's going to be. How do you find that? Like, is that restrictive to you as a director, or are you just like, is it make it easier because some of the decisions are already made for you?
3: Well, that that's true. uh, What you just said Uh, that makes it easier. But I find that I don't really like, I didn't really enjoy directing of that because because the, the actors all know each other. They've all been there. they're Everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. The director's kind of the guest.
1: Yeah. Mm.
3: And the um, director should be a director who should really be in charge of the whole thing. Yeah. And I wasn't. So it was a little frustrating. not that wasn't frustrating. It was, it was, in a way, too easy. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I, I enjoyed it. I preferred acting in it, frankly.
4: Yeah.
2: There's there's something I, I I wanted to ask you about when it comes to uh, in, in being interviewed uh, because you've done you you know you've talked to so many people but you've also been interviewed by a lot of uh, incredible people and uh, yeah. I just I just watched you on the Dick Cavett show um, the other night I think uh, last night I tuned I I went and watched it was you and. Uh, Mel Brooks, and mm-hmm.
4: who, yeah. who, who Frank Capra, uh, Frank
2: Capra, Capra <laughs> yeah, was Frank Capra, um, and
4: and Bob
3: Altman, yes, yes,
4: yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean that that's a murderer's row of filmmakers right there. That's amazing. It, it really, you it was really. a very
3: funny, story, a very funny story about that. Please, I uh, somebody told me that Dick Cabot, we, they had a, a they had a, a, the, the show that I was on from Dick Cavett, and I thought to myself. I said to, actually to to LB to Louise, I said. Um, that I, I don't remember saying a word on that show. I said it was uh, Frank Capra, and 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 uh, and uh, the two other actors, act- and I, I just I don't remember I didn't say a word. I just sort of sat there, and so on. Mm. then I, they ran it, and I talked all the way through it. <laughs> I took over for Cabot. I'm, I'm asking Capra questions,
4: <laughs>
3: and I thought, Jesus Christ, I didn't remember any of that. Wow. You just and Dick Cavett didn't, was very annoyed at yeah, me, huh? yeah
4: Dick Cavett didn't say a word on the show you you just said all the words, yeah I a lot
3: I like Dick he's very very funny, yeah, it's so great
2: That's so great yeah. um we uh we have some questions from people who um uh who wrote in about having you on the show um yeah. so i thought i'd uh I'd just uh, throw a couple of these out there um Stephen Pearl. Uh, mm-hmm. our our dear oh, yeah. uh, comedian friend yeah. uh, said that you have a funny story about uh, or that his favorite story about you is, that, that you've told is about uh, Hitchcock in an elevator or something but I don't know what that Oh, means. that's a very
3: funny story, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> uh, Hitch was staying at the um, St. Regis Hotel in New York mm-hmm. and I was still living in New York and um, or I was living in, yeah, I was still living in New York. And um, I knew Hitch by this point. I've met him a couple of times. And I think I'd even, even interviewed him already. Uh, yeah, I, did, I had, yeah. And he invites me, he comes to town to, to promote Marnie. And uh, he calls me up and says, we're, we're staying at the St. Regis. Why don't you come over for a drink And tomorrow? And I say, Okay, I'd love to. So I get there, and it's about, I don't know, five in the afternoon, or so and uh, I come into the hotel room, and there's a, t- a room service table with a, with a whole shitload of, of booze. <laughs> but I didn't know what it was. I don't drink. Uh, I never have. And uh, <laughs> not that I have any moral reason for it. I just don't like the taste. Yeah. So uh, he says, "Have a frozen diary." <laughs> well, it's, it's Alfred Hitchcock, you know so I didn't want to. All yeah. right. <laughs> 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 And and he'd already had a few. It looked like he not having any pain at all. And, um, and his wife, Alma, was there, too, and she had a couple of drinks. And so they gave me the fucking frozen daiquiri, and I, I, just, I just put my tongue to it a little bit, but I didn't drink it, really. Mm-hmm. And after about 15 minutes, Hitch turned to me and says, you're not drinking your drink. <laughs> I go, oh, I'm sorry. So I took a sip. Uh-huh. And... About ten minutes later, he says it again. You're not drinking your drink. Well, uh, fuck! I drank that whole fucking thing, uh-huh. and I was so biz buzzed. <laughs> we went out to the it, it was time to go. I, he was going to dinner with Alma. and and I walked to the elevator, and uh, I was. And he starts talking about. It. No, no. Um, I just I I I had run out of questions. I just couldn't <laughs> think anymore. I was so so drunk. <laughs> and buzzed anyway because um, mm-hmm. one drink did it for me you know honestly. yeah, yeah. Uh, sure yeah so we go into the elevator and um we're on the 25th floor and on the I think it was the 18th floor uh, two people come into the three people actually came into the elevator um red for dinner and at that moment as soon as the doors closed uh on them uh hitch turns to me and says oh it was quite shocking you know there was blood everywhere <laughs> 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 And I, thought, I was so buzzed that I thought somehow I missed a paragraph somewhere because I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But he goes on. It was quite shocking. Uh, there was blood everywhere. Um, uh, on, 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 coming out of his mouth, out of his ear. <laughs> he goes on like this. And two more people come into the elevator around the 10th floor, 6th floor. And uh, he goes on. And of course, he, he, he'd been doing that TV series Hitchcock sure. presents for about 10 years. So everybody knew who he was. Everybody recognized him. <laughs> and he went on <laughs> about this guy on the floor with blood coming out of everywhere. And um, so finally, and this goes on for a, a few beats, And then he says, and I thought, good God, I said to him, good God, man, what's happened to you? And do you know what he said to me? And just at that point, the doors to the lobby opened and everybody in the elevator didn't want to move. <laughs> they all stood there. Yeah, And uh, Hitch walks out, ro- walks right by, by them. They all, they all clustered by the door <laughs> of the elevator, and they, 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 they walked right by them.
4: Just left them hanging, and,
3: <laughs> and, and, without saying a word. And I, am sta- walking with him. I'm so confused, <laughs> and I turn to him. I say, "So, so, 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 what did he say, Hitch?" And he says, "What? Well, oh, nothing. That's just my elevator story." <laughs>
4: That amazing! <laughs> wow. oh, that, that's, that's why so he's amazing. the master of suspense. He really is. Yeah, that's why right. he did it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the best.
2: Um, Peter Bogdanovich this is an absolute honor and privilege to to get to yes. to chat with you. And we're we're such huge fans of you and of your work and everything. And it, this this was really incredible, man. Thank you for well, thank uh, you for chatting yeah. with us and doing I this. Enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Good question So cool. Well, thank so you. So cool. Um, if uh, I mean for. For, for fans of you, like if do you have a a website or anything like that, or or should we yeah. send people to the uh, to the Netflix uh, film?
3: Uh, no, I have a I have something. Uh, I have a, a pod. I don't know what the hell I have, <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. I must have a podcast, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than five. How about
0: like
1: t- I don't
3: have a... No, I don't have... I know what it is. I don't have a podcast, but we're working on getting one. Putting oh, it together. okay.
0: How about like a okay. Twitter or a Instagram? Oh, he, or uh, there, there is a Twitter. There's
2: a, a blog. Well, this might be an unofficial Who Twitter. Eh, just
4: leave it he doesn't yeah. matter. No, I, ha- I
3: had something I had something called Blogdanovich yeah
4: yes.
2: there we go there yeah. is okay. a there is a Blogdanovich
3: yes okay that's was kind of funny, funny
4: yeah it's a great yeah. name for it yeah. <laughs> is, I love it
2: that's, that's hysterical awesome. um, there's uh, there's so many great interviews with you online so I mean just any you know there's you know fans can can uh, you know check you out in so many different ways yeah. um, uh, Mike Black where can people find you on the
4: internets
0: at Mike Black Attack on all social media of course uh, Matt Walker
4: I have links to everything at Funny Matt.com and if I send uh, Peter Bogdanovich an email with 57 possible changes to Paper Moon for a theatrical version (laughs) he can write back to me at mattwalkersucks.com. Absolutely (laughs)
2: people do do that. Uh, You can always get me at Stephen Glickman uh, on Twitter Instagram, YouTube and TikTok and all the other places. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich I have
3: have an an Instagram Oh Oh, you do? Yes. But I I rarely uh, use it but there's, there's some nice pictures on there Oh, that's and what's funny.
0: it? What's it called? Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> if we look your name up, we'll find it. Oh, yeah.
2: uh, it is a verified account. It is just look up just Peter underscore Bogdanovich on uh, Instagram, Perfect. and there's a lot of beautiful pictures on there from. Aww. I'm yeah, follow so right, so right many now. Cool things Great. for sure. Uh, Thank you, thanks guys. again for doing this. We'll talk real soon. Okay. Thanks, thanks Peter. All right. Stay in touch. All right, Bye. You too. Bye. Bye. <gasps>